Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Got you losing control. You like a drug to me, my luxury, my sugar and gold. Repetition and endurance is how you learn to freestyle rap before podcasts. Repetition and endurance, just like with your training program. Clap your hands for these great questions from endurance athletes fighting that battle out on the roads, enduring, persevering, pursuing fabulous peak performance goals, and trying to do it right. That's why we listen to the Primal Blueprint Podcast Endurance Show. Hopefully all over the book Primal Endurance and especially the world's most comprehensive online multimedia educational course, primalendurance.fit. It's all there for you. This host, Brad, is giving you a 20% discount on your course enrollment. Right now is a great time to start digging into the videos, the audios, the written material, and getting your head right so that you can pursue these challenges with a healthy, balanced approach. Seems so simple, but there's so many massive forces against you, mainly the endurance culture, the scene, your peers, the coaches, the prevailing approach, the no pain, no gain, struggle and suffer equals fitness mentality that's been locked into our brains for years and years. And don't forget, we're dealing with a select niche population of highly motivated, goal-oriented, type A, hard-driving peak performers when we're at the starting line or in the training group. So it's not a representative sample of society where we have mellow, chill people that are okay skipping workouts and smiling through difficult times rather than grinding their teeth. So pursue some other outlets. Go take an art class. Hang out with coffee house dilettantes. Balance your life out. That extreme pursuit of goals and that pushing and Challenging yourself every day is wonderful. Uh, it's a great way to live your life with passion and competitive intensity throughout your life. But I'm telling you from experience and from daily battle, the urgency, the necessity of getting over yourself and having that natural, intuitive, spontaneous approach where you never forget to have fun, not take it too seriously. Yeah, that's why I named my podcast Get Over Yourself. So please go over there and subscribe and listen to that show. I broaden the content out from uh, talking about endurance or talking about keto like I do on this podcast to all manner of health, fitness, peak performance, happiness, relationships, personal growth, longevity, putting the whole thing together. But here we want to get a little focus, right? So let's get into some questions, some of the... Uh, the challenges people have been having, some of the issues that are coming up that require clarification. Always appreciate your contribution. Uh, send the emails to info at primalendurance.fit. Uh, 
Oh, yeah. So if you're inclined to enroll in the course over there at primalendurance.fit, and if you're on the fence, go watch the nine free videos that tell you everything that's going to be in the course so you know what you're getting into. Uh, if you're inclined to enroll, remember the top secret code for 20% off, BRAD20. Yeah, man, go for it. You only live once. Do it right. Oh, here's some nice reader feedback. Not a question, but some feedback about that very interesting and a little bit of a uh, change of pace show that I did with noted Australian endurance and life coach, Andre Obradovich, and the amazing journey that he's been on from a burnt-out, overweight, overstressed corporate Muppet. That's his wonderful term for people that are just head down, going through life, not doing any free thinking or uh, intuition about how things are rolling out, just kind of going with the flow and making uh, mistakes accordingly due to all the unnatural and impure forces that we face in everyday life, the forces of consumerism and measuring and judging your uh, your self-esteem according to your performance, according to your results. So we had a great talk that uh, didn't talk much about endurance training, but more about life, especially uh, reflections as parents now of uh, kids who are in adult ages and also reflections in our own age group. Here we are in the 50-plus category looking back and Andre offering some profound insights uh, about his regrets and things that he might do differently relating to raising his kids. And now that he's looking back, a great, great show. So go look that up. Uh, it's either sitting on the Primal Endurance Podcast channel. I think so. Uh, because remember, we switched over the shows to land on the Primal Blueprint channel from now on. So when you look up Primal Endurance Podcast on iTunes, all those great shows will be archived for eternity. Uh, but the fresh new content will uh, be published going forward on the Primal Blueprint podcast channel, the busy, lively, diverse Primal Blueprint podcast channel. So Justin says, I just wanted to drop a quick note to say, listen to the Brad Kearns podcast. It was one of the most profound 40 minutes I've had in a long time with two young kids and the personal struggle of, do I need to teach resilience to them or just let them be is a constant debate. So yeah, that was one of the themes we got into is how hard do you push your kids and what kind of expectations do you place upon them? Especially in today's world, man, when I'm looking at uh, the, the, the youth patterns are so different than people of my generation where we were outside playing and having fun and daydreaming and having downtime. And now they're just in front of a screen all day. So I think you do have to be a badass in certain ways, especially with the food choices and the prevailing eating patterns and model to your children and also enforce certain guidelines and standards for ways to live your life without interfering or trying to manipulate or uh, direct their path, which uh, belongs to them and them alone, right? Quick summary, but go listen to the show. So uh, Justin says, your discussion helped frame things up for me. Thanks for the insights and your personal lessons. Then we go to Kareem. I'm an outrigger paddler training for a 38-mile race across the Molokai Channel to Oahu, world-famous outrigger paddling race. And if you think you're paddling 38 miles on these calm seas that you see in the bay at Waikiki Beach, oh my gosh, there can be some major weather out there. And this is a brutal event that requires uh, all kinds of preparation, proper equipment, coaching. It's a big deal out there in the islands, brah. 
Uh, I want to do some online blood testing at directlabs.com that you've recommended before. They should sponsor your podcast, Kareem says. Yeah, they should, huh? Anyway, um, there's a lot of good services out there. Uh, my friend just sent me one that was called Discount Labs or Discount Lab Test. Yeah, we can bypass the uh, the dated approach of having to go see a doctor to request blood tests and go pick and choose your own blood tests. Uh, there's one book that Mark and I published a long time ago called the Primal Blueprint 90-Day Journal, and it's a actual journal with blanks to fill in for every day. Really progressive journal with all kinds of uh, opportunity to both do free-form journaling as well as give yourself subjective scores on 1 through 10 scale of all these different categories uh, in, in uh, life, your sleep, your motivation, your stress level, all that kind of stuff. So if you look in that 90-day uh, journal, uh, you can see a whole bunch of recommended blood tests and little uh, uh, forms and things to uh, track your progress over time. Really fun. I'm, I should do it more, but uh, I, I'll say I'm, I'm pretty enthusiastic about self-testing and uh, ordering up my own tests. You uh, do a transaction at directlabs.com, and then you run down the street with your piece of paper to the nearest lab, put in your zip code. There's one two miles away, most likely, if you live in an urban area, and they will draw your blood, and you go about your merry way. And then a few days later, you download a PDF, and boom, there's your results. So Kareem's saying, uh, what tests would you advise for me to take as an endurance athlete who wants to track that uh, fitness progress, uh, balance between health and peak performance goals, maintaining that. So some of the big ones, obviously, for uh, uh, males, especially in the uh, 30, 40, 50 and over categories, are to track that testosterone. And if you look on my uh, website, bradkearns.com, and hit the uh, blog section, you will see an article titled, How I Doubled My Testosterone uh, in a Short Time Just from Changing My Training and Lifestyle. That's not really the title, but it was something like that. It was about doubling my testosterone. What happened was um, I dug myself a pretty good hole from enthusiastically jumping back into uh, more devoted endurance training after many years of just casual approach. And this came on the occasion of getting back into my wonderful favorite sport of speed golf. So I was out there playing a lot of speed golf, and it's very, very difficult to maintain aerobic heart rate when you're playing speed golf because your heart rate actually spikes every time you hit a shot, believe it or not. I run up to the ball, uh, 250, 300 yards, ha <laughs> okay, 257 yards, so I'm doing a sustained run, and then when I stop, put the bag down, catch my breath and hit a shot, my heart rate will hit the beeper limit. <laughs> it's amazing. So anyway, these workouts were uh, adding up over time, many months, to be overly stressful. And I fell into chronic exercise patterns. When you start to feel lousy and you have this lingering and cumulative fatigue, heavy legs on certain outings, all these symptoms that devoted endurance athletes are so uh, accustomed to experiencing over time and having these ruts where they have six weeks of slightly subpar training and they're just uh, shaking their heads and wondering when they're going to pull out of it. This is super, super bad news, peoples. And you can tell quantifiably so when you uh, devotedly track your blood values over time. So whenever you're feeling kind of lousy, I would get yourself straight into the laboratory and see what is going on with the key values that you're monitoring, especially as an endurance 
athlete who's working uh, those stress hormone and fight or flight stimulation possibly too frequently. So what's going to tank on those occasions are your uh, free testosterone and serum testosterone. Free testosterone being uh, vastly more important to measure than serum. So serum is the total amount that's uh, in your body, and the free testosterone is the circulating amount in your bloodstream that is capable of acting upon uh, target organs uh, doing its job. So you want to have a good level of free T uh, regardless of your level of serum T's. In other words, it's possible to have high levels of serum testosterone but have a low value for free testosterone that you might not even know about. In other words, all of that testosterone is not doing you uh, much good. So the, the deal here is that generally speaking, when you're getting a blood test from your physician through mainstream channels, they are most likely not checking for free testosterone. Costs a little bit extra, uh, mostly they're just looking at that, that big number, the serum testosterone or total testosterone, it might say on the report. Uh, you might be familiar with the uh, normal range that extends from uh, a low of 200, I believe, up to eight or 900. And when you're below 200, they want to go give you uh, hormone replacement therapy uh, and all that good stuff. So... If you are in a normal range with serum testosterone and you don't feel that great and your libido is low and uh, other symptoms are kicking in, you might have a low free T. So I strongly recommend looking at free T uh, more with more diligence and more emphasis than serum T. So yeah, pull the free T for sure. Uh, you also want to pull a thyroid panel and that hopefully include some of the more sophisticated ones like uh, reverse T3 and L Russ is the world's leading expert on this stuff. So listen to some of her podcasts on the specific subject of thyroid uh, because you can easily trash your thyroid and your adrenal glands from these chronic training patterns. Uh, I will back up a minute and say that uh, overall, if you feel lousy, you can pretty much assume that uh, something is going to come up uh, in your blood with an adverse value. So if you are on a budget, don't feel like spending a few hundred bucks to get the complete panel, uh, you can look at the uh, practical steps you can take, such as sleeping more, backing off your training, and then when you start feeling better, you can also make that assumption that your blood work is probably improved. But interesting for me is uh, my free testosterone, after five months of devoted training for speed golf and putting in, I uh, was actually tracking it and doing was it uh, 20 to 25 hours of uh, cardiovascular exercise per month? And for the previous 10, 15 years, I'd probably done an average of four, five, seven, eight, maybe 10 hours in a good month, just jogging. And uh, I was doing other sports, of course, basketball, strength training, sprinting, but I was not out there pounding the pavement and putting in the miles. And when you add up, uh, let's say, a five-fold increase in my baseline aerobic training, uh, some of those hours going beyond the maximum aerobic heart rate. I know I'm copying to it, admitting to it, uh, because I wasn't disciplined enough out on the golf course to uh, slow down to a walk uh, enough. Yeah, after five months, my uh, 
uh, free testosterone dropped below the normal range. So I was a clinical hypotestosterone patient, uh, a candidate for hormone replacement therapy. Let's see, I was exactly 50 years old and oh man, over the hill, huh? As soon as you hit the big 5-0. Um, I also, uh, put myself, I believe this was a driving force to putting myself into a series of uh, serious health problems, including uh, uh, an emergency appendectomy, complications afterward where I had to have uh, kidney surgeries, three kidney surgeries. And this was all bad news for several months. And the doctors will say that uh, a burst appendix or an, a, a bout of appendicitis is random. Uh, but I strongly believe that it was driven by my chronic training patterns, uh, including in the week before my uh, uh, emergency surgery, I had two high-intensity sprint workouts in 106-degree heat in the summer in Sacramento. One was on Tuesday, one was on Friday. And after the Friday session, I didn't quite feel so good for about <laughs> the following 48 hours. And I know I'm rambling here, but another uh, important lesson or insight I want to provide is uh, I felt horrible and I went to the hospital and was promptly sent home uh, after a quick exam. And so when I was leaving the hospital, the nurse asked me to, or at some point in the hospital, she said, what's your, what's your pain on a scale of one to 10? Uh, and I said 10 and she laughed and she said, honey, a 10 is when your arm is falling off and you're dragging it in here with a trail of blood along the floor. And I said, oh, okay, well then it's a freaking nine. And, uh, I think they, <laughs> I find out later from people on the medical profession that, uh, most people in the ER will say 10. And so the, the staff is pretty much jaded. The medical, uh, uh, profession is pretty much jaded to people self-reporting their pain. Uh, little did they know, um, I was, you know, a, a, a former professional triathlete, uh, skilled and adept at pain and suffering. And so when I said 10, uh, I was not uh, being uh, in any way embellishing. It was an honest account that I was in uh, the worst agony of my life. So the moral of the story and the message I want to send you home with in all seriousness, not just a fun story, but when your pain level is 10 out of 10, do not leave the hospital. Stay there and insist that they perform whatever further tests they can think of and keep you under the care of professionals before heading home. So what happened to me was I, head ho I headed home. For some reason, they didn't identify my uh, appendicitis because the appendix had uh, been twisted around and moved out of position for the pushing into the abdomen test. And I lay there in agony at home for another, I believe it was uh, 18 to 24 hours. At some point during that time, frame the appendix burst and then your survival rate is somewhere between 6 and 48 hours before uh, you uh, basically go septic internally and die peacefully in your sleep uh, because you're overcome by the uh, the poison. So uh, I finally did get myself back into the hospital, of course had the emergency surgery and it turned out to be way, way more uh, of an ordeal than it could have been had I just insisted I stay in the hospital and get a CAT scan and get another scan and get this and get that. And furthermore, I could have avoided the whole thing, I believe, had I not done those two crazy workouts in a short time in 106 degree heat, coming on the heels of five months of crazy ass chronic aerobic exercise exceeding my maximum aerobic heart rate. So no wonder that around that time, this was before the uh, uh, 
the appendectomy uh, and the, uh, the the bomb out there in the final weeks in June. I did a blood test in May, and I was uh, hypo for free testosterone. Yeah, then guess what? Had some recovery time. Didn't do much exercise for the next three weeks after the surgery, and then leading into more complications after that. Uh, and then, let's see, there's a, a few more months going, going a passing time where I'm just recovering and getting back into exercise, but taking care of my body, obviously losing fitness, but regaining my health, uh, as evidenced by a blood test that had my free testosterone and serum testosterone elevating uh, from the below normal range all the way up to the 95th percentile for a man at the age 20 to 29 and off the 99th percentile for a male over age 50. So I went from a basket case uh, a candidate for replacement to a... Uh, uh, a, um, a, a, an aging wonder that had the same testosterone as a college kid in only about five months. Uh, not saying this to get uh, hands clapping. We already did that. Remember? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but rather to show how ridiculous it might be to be addressing all this stuff with uh, immediate knee-jerk reaction of going on to drug therapy. I mean, I was a candidate for drug therapy, but just by slowing down, getting some forced rest from the appendectomy and the follow-up surgeries, uh, I was able to rejuvenate my testosterone. Obviously, I eat healthy, get a lot of sleep. I had a lot of things going for me, but you have so much control over your, your hormones and your genetic function on a day-to-day -day basis just by making good decisions. So please don't get into that mindset that, oh, uh, I have a genetic predisposition toward high blood pressure. Oh, Oh, yeah? Well, that's absolutely correct and true. But if you can become more chill and do your morning meditations and learn how to manage stress and rest and sleep more, you're going to nullify all those genetic predispositions for poor health. So somehow this uh, winding story uh, got away from or extended the, uh, the questions from Kareem about what blood tests to get. Uh, so I talked about the thyroid panel, especially the reverse T3, and then you can get some inflammatory markers, which are really important to see if you're in this state of chronic inflammation, which is the root cause of all disease, dysfunction, decline. So we definitely want to look at those inflammatory markers. One uh, is called uh, C-reactive protein or high-sensitivity C-reactive protein, HSCRP, and you want that puppy to be pretty darn low. Um, you know, there's a normal range of uh, is it zero to 10 or something? And looking at, uh, 0.3s and 0.6s is, is really nice there. Um, take, take immediate corrective action if you have some inflammatory markers in play. Uh, the other good stuff are the metabolic, uh, panel, such as the HDL to triglycerides ratio. That is the number one tracker for your heart disease risk factor. Vastly more important than looking at the total LDL cholesterol, where many people write in to us or talk to me with alarm that their cholesterol shot up and their doctor's very concerned. This is slowly but surely being 
uh, wildly and aggressively overturned by breaking science and uh, better understanding of the lipid hypothesis of heart disease, which has been strongly refuted in recent times. And now we know that oxidation and inflammation are the proximate causes of heart disease and that your total LDL cholesterol level is... Uh, very difficult to uh, track against heart disease risk factors. I know it'd be nice to look at one number and say, oh, get that down here, take this statin and everything's going to be okay. But if you can get your HDL up, which is widely regarded as being the, uh, the good cholesterol, the nature's garbage truck, its job is to scavenge uh, damaged dysfunctional molecules, get them out of the bloodstream and uh, send them to the liver for recycling or for elimination. So if the HDL is high, your body's working hard to get rid of any bad stuff, any potential formations of plaque and things in the bloodstream. And if your triglycerides are low, that is the amount of circulating fat in the bloodstream. If you have low triglycerides, this indicates that your fat burning mechanisms are in good shape. You're not uh, overloading the cholesterol processing system whereby you get fatty plaque deposits on the walls of your arteries. They become oxidized by the passing blood and a, uh, a, a plaque forms and you have uh, the, uh, the ripe occasion for uh, the heart disease process to take place via a stroke or uh, a heart attack right there, blockage. So what we want to track is triglycerides to HDL ratio. We want that to get one-to-one -one, or even better, ideally. So we want HDL and triglycerides to be around the same. And you want to get your HDL up and over 40, absolutely necessary. Looking at 60 and numbers like that is great. And then you want to get your triglycerides absolutely positively under 100. That's an urgent first priority to protect yourself against heart disease risk. You may have heard 150 bantered about by mainstream Western medicine, but Dr. Ron Sinha, author of the South Asian Health Solution, uh, wants you to adjust that number down to 100. So take care of business, basically minimize the intake of processed carbohydrates and thereby minimizing insulin production in the diet to drop those triglycerides down into the healthy range. So you're tracking that on your blood test. Going back to the question, uh, we also want to get your fasting glucose. If you can get fasting insulin, that would be an add-on or a special one. And look at that number. Remember Dr. Peter Atia. Uh, prominent leader in the ancestral health space, especially focusing on longevity, has a fabulous new podcast called The Drive. Go listen to that to get really into the, the breaking science about all these topics of heart disease and uh, risk factors, longevity factors. Uh, he says that minimizing your insulin production over the lifetime is possibly the number one longevity attribute. So producing an optimally minimal amount of insulin for the rest of your life is the way to skate free from all this pain and suffering and disease and demise that we get when we have wildly excessive insulin production, which is pretty much the baseline of society. <sighs> so we have fasting glucose. We want to get that under 100. Uh, it's, I, I, I read or heard somewhere that they're bumping up the safe number to like 120 now, where it was always 100. And if you were over 100, you were classified as pre-diabetic. But now the number of people who are pre-diabetic is so huge and it's so rand, uh, routine and normal to see uh, fasting glucose over 100. 
that's one way to address the problem. Just bump those numbers up a little bit. But really, uh, most people in the ancestral health space want to see you with that fasting glucose of under 100. And that would be another indication that you're good at burning fat. You're not carb addicted. You don't have too much uh, glucose circulating through your bloodstream. There's a tandem uh, measurement to that fasting blood glucose, which is a snapshot in one time on that morning when you were fasted. They see what your glucose is. Uh, you can also check HbA1c, hemoglobin A1c, and that is called the estimated average glucose. So the amount of glucose that uh, a typical cell is carrying with it over the previous uh, five or six weeks time frame. So that's more, uh, rather than a snapshot, it's sort of like a, <laughs> a video uh, looking at a, a larger period of time. And you want to get that puppy uh, near 5.0 rather than nearer 6.0. Uh, that's starting to indicate a problem of carb dependency, excess insulin production, and excess glucose in the bloodstream. And when you have chronically excessive levels of glucose in the bloodstream by way of eating high-carbohydrate meals and spiking glucose and having to have insulin slide in there and lower it, you are going to suffer from a condition known as glycation. And that is when uh, this excess glucose binds with important structural proteins proteins throughout the body and wreaks havoc on their healthy, normal function. Uh, the glycation is particularly relevant to the longest-lasting cells of the body. Know where those are? <sighs> Cardiovascular system, of course, heart attacks, right? Uh, the retina, the kidneys, uh, and the skin cells, the collagen and elastin in your skin. So what do these kind of weird things have in common, random? Diabetics routinely suffer from eyesight problems as well as kidney problems. They often need to uh, get new kidneys, uh, be on dialysis, very routine. That's because of the excess glucose in the bloodstream because a diabetic has a hard time controlling the glucose, right? Uh, what about the wrinkly skin that we associate with aging uh, that's also accelerated, driven by glycation, excess glucose molecules in the bloodstream? Also getting too much sun, sure, sure, but uh, don't you see a lot of fresh-faced, uh, non-wrinkly people uh, out there who have had a lot of sun in their lifetime, but they look healthy? Yeah, so it's not all sun uh, exposure. It's also what you're eating. So those are the biggies for blood tests. And I'd finally add on to that vitamin D crucial for cancer protection. Vitamin D influences the, uh, the activity of an important gene called the P53 gene, which is nicknamed the spell checker gene. It regulates healthy division of cells. When you have low vitamin D from uh, insufficient sun exposure, you are going to have a more likelihood of unregulated cell division, which is the essence of the process of cancer uh, taking hold in the body. Now, here's the thing. The normal range in vitamin D on the blood tests, I believe, is uh, 30. So that they see you anything over 30, they say, well, vitamin D looks okay. We'll see you in a year. But the vitamin D advocates, the people that spend their lives studying this important, it's actually not a vitamin, it's a hormone. So the hormone vitamin D activity and all the wide-ranging influence on the body, it influences the function of more than 400 genetic uh, mechanisms in the body. 
they are saying that they want the vitamin D to be vastly higher than the normal routine recommendations. Uh, look in the Primal Blueprint. We talked a lot about that in the most recent edition of Primal Blueprint, where we want to get that vitamin D up to 50, 60, 70, 75. I proudly showed my man, Dr. Phil Maffetone, one of your favorite guests on the podcast with the highest download rates in history. Um, and I said, hey, look, my vitamin D is 55. Pretty good. He goes, uh, I'd like to see that up to 75. <laughs> I'm like, all right, so how do we get vitamin D? Is primarily through sun exposure. Diet has a very minimal contribution to your vitamin D levels in comparison to getting some routine sunbathing sessions where you expose the large skin surface areas of your body to direct sunlight in the times of peak solar intensity, the times of day and the times of year, whereby you're capable of getting tan. So that's the uh, the kicker to determine whether you're making vitamin D or not. If your skin can tan, then the sun's rays are intense enough to uh, promote vitamin D manufacturing uh, by the skin cells. And if, if not, which is uh, throughout the winter in most places, you can stay out all day and never get a, a tan or a sunburn that's insufficient to make vitamin D. So the plan of attack for vitamin T is to uh, broaden your perspective over the uh, possibly uh, dated recommendations by a general blood test. Try to get that number up higher. Uh, there's a book called The Vitamin D Solution by Dr. Michael Holick, which was a great uh, overview of this whole concept. We also have an ebook. Uh, where can I get that? Oh, at bradkearns.com. Just sign up for the newsletter. You do the form, subscribe, and you will get a free ebook, uh, The Complete Guide to Vitamin D, whatever the title is. It's a really simple read, so it extracts a lot of information uh, from various resources, uh, research, uh, the vitamin D solution, the great book, and puts it into this handy-dandy ebook format. So I highly recommend getting that. All you have to do is subscribe to my email newsletter, and you can get this book, the uh, uh, Vitamin D uh, Overview. So... Um, Sun exposure, 20 minutes in direct sun on a warm summer day will make somewhere around 10,000 IUs of vitamin D. By comparison, a super healthy primal aligned diet maybe will give you 1,000 or 2,000 in a day. So you're getting tenfold increases from sun exposure versus great eating habits. And then in the wintertime or if your lifestyle is sun challenged in any way, you can use the supplements because uh, a lot of them are uh, offering a 1,000 IU or 2,000 IU in a single capsule. Uh, the Primal Sun product, I think, is 2,000 IU capsules, maybe 1,000, and you can take a bunch of them at a time. Uh, not, not a big risk of uh, uh, toxicity unless you take a 1,000 or a 100 of them at a time, but if you uh, miss a few days, you can take a, a handful of vitamin D capsules and just boost those numbers up. So that's the uh, answer to what blood test should you get besides the complete blood count and looking at the basics. Go in for that free testosterone, get the thyroid panel, get the uh, uh, HbA1c, the inflammatory marker, high sensitivity C-reactive protein, get the vitamin D, and paddle safely, Kareem. Good luck in the outrigger paddling competition. 
how's that for a rambling answer? But you know what? These questions tee up some great topics. I hope you appreciate some of those impassioned messages I have for you, especially the one about staying in the emergency room, man. I'm a tough guy. I'm an endurance athlete. I can take it. I can handle it. I don't want to burden the staff with unnecessary tests. All these things are going through my mind. And that's great when you're trying to get to the finish line of a race and you want to be super tough and ignore the pain. But in real life, when you have a life-threatening illness, uh, I want to spread that message with uh, all the all the passion I can muster to take care of yourself and don't be afraid to reach out and get help. <laughs> one time at one point in the middle of the night when I was in severe excruciating pain, I was going to get up and force myself to drive my car uh, three or four miles to the hospital. But the reason I didn't is because the previous time I had visited the hospital, we had to sit and chair for 45 minutes before I could be seen. And I knew that I couldn't last in the chair for that long. So I just laid in bed and allowed my appendix to burst and have the poison circulate through my body to where I needed to be piped into antibiotics for days on end, just because I had this sensation that uh, I wouldn't be able to last in the chair. And now when you think about it, uh, if it happens again, or if it happens to you, and you're in that situation, drive your car into the <laughs> ambulance driveway, open up the door, and lie down on the cement, and probably somebody's going to help you there, okay? Oh, mercy. Okay, let's go for a couple more questions, and then we'll catch our breath and carry on with our busy day. Thanks, Kareem, for the uh, question about the blood test. That was the original question. Okay, Todd says... 33 years old, he's got Lyme disease, 6'5", 230, 10 to 12% body fat, had reconstructive knee surgery and reconstructive Achilles surgery, three massive muscle tears in his right quad and both hamstrings. His legs look visibly different. He used to be a football player, does weightlifting, so interesting background, got some stuff going on, but he's doing his best and trying to pursue a new goal of a sprint triathlon coming up in a few months. 750 meter swim, 20k bike, 5k run. I've heard on the podcast people referencing to stay in 180 minus age heart rate during the bike ride so they don't get burnt out and are ready for the run. But they're referring to much longer races normally. Do I need to approach my bike ride in this sprint race the same way? I feel like I'll be able to do the 5k just fine if I keep it in that range on the bike. Uh, but I could also do some testing, experimenting to see how much I can push the bike past 180 minus age and still be good on the run. Uh, I'm glad you brought this question out because some of these insights get sort of uh, uh, extrapolated, misinterpreted, and applied uh, in a big picture, uh, not as intended. So the 180 minus age heart rate, that is your maximum aerobic heart rate, the point of maximum aerobic benefits with the minimal amount of anaerobic stimulation. It's the maximum fat oxidation per minute. So you're burning more fat calories per minute at 180 minus age than you are at any other heart rate. If you were to speed up, because remember, it's a pretty comfortable pace, uh, you're going to burn more calories per minute but your fat burning is going to decline from its peak in favor of an increase in glucose burning. So the great majority of your training time, your training hours that you put in, 
should be in the aerobic heart rate zone so that the workouts are minimally stressful and you can build and progress over time without the interruption caused by high stress workouts. That's all that the aerobic maximum heart rate is, is a guideline for training and a big picture view of, let's say, building the base, which we talk about extensively in the book Primal Endurance and in the video course, where you dedicate a certain period of the year to doing only aerobic workouts, but then, of course, have the other workouts coming into the mix when you're preparing for competition or when you have general fitness goals rather than distinct endurance goals. So that'll save some questions from people whereby they're looking in primal endurance and looking at this base building periodization schedule and then looking at primal blueprint and seeing that you're supposed to lift heavy things a couple days a week and sprint once in a while every week or 10 days and then do the cardio. How does this uh, conflict with each other? It doesn't. It's just for people with distinct endurance goals. You have a great benefit from taking some time and building a base as opposed to general fitness enthusiast. So in a race setting, uh, the guideline of remaining below 180 minus age is not really relevant because the race is much shorter than, uh, let's say, an ultra-distance uh, competition where it's probably a great idea to maintain aerobic for the entire duration of, let's say, your Western States 100-mile run across the Sierra Nevada mountains or something that's uh, going to take all day like uh, an Ironman distance triathlon or what have you. Uh, but we know from Dr. Maffetone's research also that uh, you most people are capable of maintaining a marathon race pace significantly faster than maximum aerobic heart rate and the data that they've been compiling with thousands of uh, uh, amateur runners is turning out to be uh, somewhere around 15 seconds per mile faster is your good target for marathon race pace. So if you go to the track and perform a maximum aerobic function test, let's say for two or three miles, and you're holding 10-minute miles uh, with your heart rate right there at 180 minus age, you can go into a marathon and aspire to hold a pace of 9 minute 45 second per mile. Let's assume we have pleasant weather conditions, not like Boston Marathon 2018 or Boston Marathon 2019. Of course, the major rainstorm in 2018 and the heavy winds. And then in 2019, it was very humid day, up over 70 degrees, and that caused trouble for a lot of people that had been used to winter training. So... Uh, just an interesting guideline to give you something to uh, experiment with out of the gate. But when you're talking about a sprint triathlon that's going to take uh, even a casual racer not much longer than an hour to an hour and a half, uh, you can throw the maximum aerobic limit out the window and just hit it hard. Get on that bike and pedal, man. You're going 20K. That's only 12 miles. So I don't think uh, you need to save a lot in the tank uh, to have a successful 5K. Uh, there's a cross-training effect, uh, post-activation potentiation effect, whereby pumping those legs through a 20K bike ride at a fast pace gets you optimally primed and ready to perform well in the 5K run. Yes, interesting. The blood's flowing, the heart's pumping, and your stress hormones are flowing. So sometimes the event's complement one another whereby you can have a peak performance when you take it overall in the um, 
in the big picture. Of course, there's going to be a little fatigue generated from pedaling 20k hard, but certainly uh, the strategy on the uh, Olympic distance circuit when I was a racer uh, would be to go pretty much all out on the bike and not suffer that much uh, attrition in performance on the run. And this was a 40k bike, 10k run, twice the distance of a sprint. Especially in a sprint, it was balls to the wall from the second the gun went off in the swim to doing, uh, you know, let's say 750 swim, 20k bike, 5k run. So just go for it, man. Have fun. And if you blow up and have a horrible run and you're blaming it on the bike because you pedaled too hard, I will probably challenge that assertion overall, you should be able to perform at top end for at least an hour. And in fact, uh, we all familiar with the term anaerobic threshold. Uh, the laboratory data uh, validates this, that anaerobic threshold correlates to the pace you can hold for approximately an hour. So if you're wondering what your anaerobic threshold heart rate is, you can go out there and do an hour-long time trial on the bike or on the run, and whatever heart rate you're able to sustain for the entire time, that's your AT, man. Pretty cool. That means if you are a, a crazy person and, and take off out of the gate way too fast to be able to sustain for an hour, what's going to happen when you get to a half hour is you're going to bomb out and your heart rate will drop to <laughs> whatever your heart rate is when you're walking, right? So you want to envision a certain heart rate that you could maintain or feel like you could maintain for an hour. So just in general discussion of pacing, I would say that your first, let's say, one-third, 20 minutes, should feel pretty darn comfortable. You're going hard. You're doing an hour-long time trial, an hour-long race, uh, but you shouldn't be straining and suffering and huffing and puffing in the first 20 minutes. The second 20 minutes, how could we describe this? It's going to take a little more focus. You're going to be feeling some cumulative fatigue in your legs or your upper body, whatever you're doing, but you're going to be uh, capable and feeling uh, steady and comfortable in the sense that you're not going to slow down anytime soon. How's that characterization for the middle third of your hour-long time trial at anaerobic threshold? And of course, the final 20 minutes, uh, that's when you're going to start getting into the pain and suffering mindset where the pace feels pretty tough. You're wondering if you can make it uh, to the 60-minute mark uh, dramatically different than how you felt in the first 20 minutes. And that, my friends, is the essence of a properly conducted all-out peak performance world record, personal world record achievement. First 20 minutes, very comfortable. I shouldn't say comfortable. Uh, somewhat comfortable, or we could call it steady. Anaerobic threshold is not comfortable. It's the red line pace that's right there at the point where you can sustain it for an hour. But if you were to increase your speed or increase your effort, uh, you would... Uh, quickly start to uh, get acid accumulation in the muscles, the burning sensation. So that's what the threshold means, is not crossing over the threshold. So the first 20 minutes should be comfortable. Second 20 minutes should be time to focus. And the third 20 minutes should be time for pain and suffering. And if you uh, 
uh, apply this concept to the performances of the elite uh, runners, elite performers in the world. Uh, that last 20 minutes, oh boy, when you're trying to break the hour record on the bicycle, the great uh, record that's uh, been celebrated over time with the top riders in the world going to the velodrome and pedaling for an hour. Um, boy, oh boy, that last 10 minutes, that's all they got and they're ready to collapse at the finish line. I believe the hour record was really bantered about in the early 2000s. A bunch of guys were going after it. Uh, Graham O'Bree, the Scottish uh, specialist that all he did was train for that. Uh, Tony Rominger, one of the great guys on the circuit, took a crack at that record. And um, Chris Boardman uh, took a shot at that record, held the record. And I believe it was up there around 35 miles per hour. Go check out the hour record on Google. Okay, I did. It's now held by Victor Campanert, and he rode 55K, or 34.2 miles. Uh, the Belgian cyclist on the velodrome, cranking away. And he said that, speaking of my characterization, um, he said that the last... Uh, uh, five minutes said sheer will got him through the final five minutes of the hour record. Okay, so there you go. Anaerobic threshold training. Fun times. Thank you for listening. And please write in with your feedback, questions, comments, info at primalendurance.fit. Go to the website, primalendurance.fit. There's a lot of good content on there. You can sign up for the uh, uh, the free series of videos that tell you all about what's in the comprehensive digital course. And this is by far the most comprehensive library of tools and videos, printed material, audio material to help you train and compete the right way, the healthy way. So the coursework has been carefully cultivated. We have some of the top experts in the world. I traveled all around North America for a year uh, conducting these incredible videos with Olympic gold medalists and the top researchers, scientists, old-time athletes. You're going to love it. The content will really entertain you, but it will also educate you and give you your own uh, database of decision-making parameters to do this stuff right because you're the world's foremost expert on your own training, but it doesn't hurt to have a whole bunch of other experts in your corner. That's my pitch for the course concluded by the super duper 20% discount on your course enrollment just by typing in the code BRAD20. So primalendurance.fit, go check it out. And thanks for listening to the podcast. I can make your hands clap. Your hands clap. Hey everyone, join us for Keto Reset Month. This is a month of free email content, plus amazing offers, giveaways, and a huge grand prize to help you kickstart or recommit to keto. You can go to primalkitchen.com forward slash Keto Reset. And here's what you'll get when you subscribe. You'll get an incredible offer to buy a Primal Kitchen Advanced Keto Kit and get the Keto Reset Mastery Course for free, which is $147 value, a month of free exclusive email content from Mark Sisson, free keto
keto learning materials such as ebooks, food lists, recipes, meal plans, and more, and additional offers and recipes from Primal Kitchen, Mark's Daily Apple. So go to primalkitchen.com forward slash keto reset and join us.